This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill here on a TGIF Friday. 97.3 ESPN along with Hunter Brody. Coming up at 3.15, we'll talk more NBA with DraftKings NBA analyst Julian Edlow here on 97.3 ESPN. Speaking of NBA, did you hear last that they used this as one of the intro-outro beds for the commercial break on TNT? No, I did not pick up on that. I heard it. I'm a DMX guy, so I'll, I'll hear DMX a mile away. Well, sure. I mean, I totally understand what this is, but it never really caught my attention. You got to think. I'm flipping the channel. I'm looking into baseball. Speaking of baseball, Gabe Kapler last night. Yeah, right? He forgot the rules, and he went into the game for a second mound visit with the same pitcher. Oh, no. Couldn't then take him out of the game. <laughs> and now you got the San Francisco headlines ripping apart Gabe Kapler. And he came out after the media, uh, after the game to the media and said, I messed up. I forgot the rules. So which, which is better, the fact that he messed up or the fact that he came out and owned it? Well, you have to own it at that point. You made well, such they a brutal... suck him up with some excuse. Gabe Kepler was known for making excuses for a lot of his right? players. Reese goes 0 for 4 with four strikeouts, and he'd say that was a tremendous effort. effort. Tremendous <laughs> effort. We have a resilient group of guys. Yes. <laughs> but how about that? San Francisco looking at Gabe Kapler with a brutal mistake. Giving him the side eye now. I mean, that's managing 101. That's something that you should know. It really should. How about that, though? To tie us back into baseball, a little Gabe Kapler slander. Well, John from Collins would ask the question before you know we had the uh, hit the break there. We had the segment before he was asking about you know what is going on with these teams. I thought John asked a great question, which has to do with a lot of what we talked about the NBA at the beginning of the show, which was he said, "What is MLB going to do? Are they going to just drop teams for the mix? Are they going to make up games if they can?" Now, I think the latter is what baseball plans to do. They're going to try to make up as many of these games as possible. But they've already come out and said, you know, and the, even players and coaches have said, hey, look, you know, not everyone's going to play 60 games. And you have to ask the question, as Mike Gill asked the question over at 973ESPN.com. You can go check out his article for more of what he said. But Mike asked the question, what about the competitive balance? How does this, uh, how does this contribute to the benefit or the detriment of the Phillies when it comes to competitive balance in the situation and I think this is where baseball is completely mismanaging this and that is they did not foresee some of these things and circumstances happening and as a result they didn't plan it properly and they didn't follow their own protocol whereas the NBA they've strictly followed their protocols to the point where they said Lou Williams you went and got wings in a building inside with a bunch of people, you got to get quarantined for 10 days. We don't care if you were wearing a mask. Whereas baseball, it feels like they're just kind of figuring out as they're going along. So I think it's a huge uh, dichotomy between sports where one sport says, we have our rules, we're holding to them to the, to the very tiniest letter of the law. And baseball is like, man, we got to figure this out. What are we going to do? Well, I think it's unfair. See, I think baseball has made mistakes, and they are clearly trying to figure this out on the fly, so I am going to criticize them heavily. But I do think it's also two different scenarios. Like, I don't think it's fair to say, well, the MLB has to be like the NBA when it's two totally different environments, and these players wouldn't sign up for a bubble. 
when Lou Will leaves and comes back, you can you have the ability to do what the NBA did because they're in their own bubble. You don't have that ability when you're not in a bubble and you're playing from city to city. So I am still going to criticize the MLB because they are clearly not prepared enough. But I also don't think it's fair to compare them to leagues that are in the bubble because you can't get away with doing the same things when you are not in a bubble. So from that point of view, I think it's unfair. Now, here's the thing, and I brought this up yesterday when we talked about the Miami Marlins. Right now, we sit here today, and we see that the Phillies have no players once again that tested positive. Therefore, when is enough enough? Like, therefore, they should be playing baseball games at this point. This is now another day where you have no positive tests. They should be playing baseball. And you know who else is sitting around right now? The Blue Jays with nothing to do. Nothing to do. I got the alert this morning on my fantasy baseball team. (laughs) Vlad Guerrero Jr., game postponed. You might want to remove him from your lineup. Dag Nabbit, I got to remove him from the lineup now. Here's where I have an issue to an extent with... With my my fantasy baseball plan? No, no, no. With... (laughs) Like, I I think it's so fair to criticize baseball, Manfred, and everything going on. Mm -hmm. But we want them to isolate the people who tested positive, right? That's our one thing right now. We can't allow positive tests to eliminate baseball and cancel the season. So, when someone tests positive, you remove them from the situation and you continue to play what's on the schedule. That was the original protocol. Well, the Marlins did that on Sunday, and they are getting destroyed. Baseball, the sport, is getting destroyed for doing that. And now you're seeing an outbreak, and they're getting criticized. So what is baseball supposed to do? Do they move these people who test positive with St. Louis and say, let's continue to move forward? Do, do they do the same thing that they did with the Miami Marlins with the St. Louis Cardinals right now? I don't have the information. I don't know what they should do. But they did that on Sunday, Marlins-Phillies, and now it resulted in this big outbreak. So what can they do? And once again, I just want to clarify I don't think that they are properly prepared for this. They could have done way better. But at the same time, they're stuck in a sticky situation because they just did that and they have one of the biggest outbreaks we've seen so far. My big caveat with everything you just said is we don't know all the details of the Cardinal situation because the, we, we don't know if the Marlins situation is anything like the Cardinals. The Cardinals situation may be completely different, right? So... It seems like the Marlins, the story that came out was a bunch of them went out and had a good time. Now, we don't know if they got it from going out and having a good time or if someone who had already was carrying it went with everybody to have a good time. But either way, they violated some of the protocols. That's why every team's going to have a, you know, a coronavirus hall monitor babysitter now. The problem with the Cardinals is we don't know all the details. We haven't been given a ton of information. It's pretty, I mean, I'm going to double check, but it still looks pretty vague. In terms of the reporting, you know, it's pretty open-ended to interpretation. And the Brewers, by the way, they don't have any positive tests, correct? So this is where I don't like how some of the MLB reporters are framing this. You know, they say because of COVID-19, these teams aren't playing. Phillies, Blue Jays, Brewers, Cardinals. But those teams who are not playing, they don't have any. They're just playing the teams that do have them on the schedule. Right, that's not fair to them. I agree. I don't think that that's fair to throw that into the equation when Baseball they Baseball should have it. had more contingencies in place. for the, By the way, you know who's not playing this weekend? The Nationals. You know who's also not playing this weekend? The Blue Jays. Why can't the Nationals and the Blue Jays keep playing? Well, I think that that's something that they are going to look into, don't you think? But it's already Friday. Well, it's pouring raining in the in the East Coast here. Yeah, instead I'm getting alerts all like this. Aroldis Chapman is twice tested negative, and he's going to be cleared to return to the Yankees. 
well, we know one guy's going to return to play. What about anybody else who may have tested positive and now they're testing negative? What do we do with those people? Nobody knows. You know why? Because baseball has a leadership void where Manfred is too worried about getting stale interviews in a controlled environment on MLB Network when his uncontrolled environment, which is Major League Baseball, has all kinds of people going in different directions. I'm with you. I totally can support that. There is a problem with Manfred right now, but I also don't think that it's super easy at this point, and I don't think the players helped out at all. The players not wanting a bubble is a big-time issue, and that put a lot, a lot of pressure on someone like Manfred in the league because it's so hard to make this thing work, and the leagues that continue to work are in a bubble. We haven't seen a league. Granted, we haven't seen the NFL take the field yet, but we haven't seen a league actually work outside of a bubble well, environment. We haven't in seen the team sports. Yes, which is a big part of this. But yes, team sports. Because I just want to bring this caveat. You know, golf isn't in a bubble. NASCAR isn't in a bubble. Right. Okay. Dif- you know, difference between team sports and but individual. I, I, I want to draw that line, though, because there is a serious difference in environment between team and individual sports. Okay. In an individual sport, in some ways, you are isolated. You are in your own little bubble anyway. You know, if you're a professional athlete who's a fighter or a tennis player or a golfer, a lot of times you are traveling either by yourself or in a very small group of people isolated from everybody else for a variety of reasons. Either you're famous or because you're doing a weight cut or because... You know, you're traveling from one place to another so quickly because you're traveling around the country, going from event to event. So a lot of those situations, NASCAR included, you are already isolated. You don't have that afforded isolation built into your lifestyle for a team sport. And that's one of the problems we're having. And that is baseball, I think, had some ideas of how this was going to work. And then when it didn't work, they were like, oh, snap. What do we do now? Well, see, here's where I'm at right now with the league. I think right now, because of what happened with the Marlins, they're afraid to allow teams to proceed when there are positive tests because we saw what happened on that Sunday game against the Miami Marlins and the Phillies. But what I think is going to happen is they're going to notice the trend is going to be more like the Phillies than it is Miami. And once, and once they realize that that's the trend, then you will start to pick back up games. Here's what you need to factor in, though. It's going to come down to win percentage. All right, that's reality. You're not going to fit 60 games in from all these teams. So there will be a a weird situation when it comes to winning the division and getting in the playoffs this season. But I feel like MLB right now is being very cautious. Once they realize what the Phillies are doing in terms of testing negative is more likely the the result, then they will continue moving forward. He's Hunter Birdie. I'm Josh Hennig. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN filling for Mike Gill. Mike will be back this Monday on the Sports Bash. Sports Bash today being brought to you by SHM Financial. Are you quickly approaching retirement or are you currently in retirement? Don't be overwhelmed. Contact SHM Financial. Call them at 800-MONEY-SHM or visit them online at shmfinancial.com. We'll get back to the NBA talk next. Julian Edlow, DraftKings NBA analyst. What did he see last night's game? What does he expect this weekend? He's a guy who watches a lot of the Eastern Conference. What does he think about the Sixers and their standing in the Eastern Conference? With all of that coming up next here on 97.3 ESPN FM and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app, it's free and it's powered by the First Bank of Seattle City. 
There's never an off-season for the NFL. It's football at 4, every day at 4 p.m. on 97.3 ESPN. Josh Eddick filling in for Mike Gill here on the Sports Patch along with Hunter Brody on 97.3 ESPN. Of course, the NBA played last night, back on tonight. You can hear tonight, just like you heard Lakers Clippers last night on 97.3 ESPN. You can hear tonight, Rockets Mavs, the Battle of Texas here on 97.3 ESPN. And don't forget, with DraftKings, you have the opportunity to 5-1 odds on any team with the NBA opening weekend up to $20 per max bet. In other words, if you bet $20 on a team of your choosing in any matchup, it went 100 if you're correct. Last night, people took 94% of the bets on the Lakers on DraftKings, and DraftKings paid out 5-1 to one odds. So anyone put down 100, anyone put down $10 on the Lakers last night, 150 $20, 100 You can't beat it. And right now, joining us on the World of Kind of Hotline, DraftKings NBA analyst Julian Edlow here. Julian, how you doing today? I'm doing well, Josh. How about you? I mean, actually, I'm doing great. The NBA is back, so I should correct myself there. I would say, I think we're all doing great now. The NBA is back. So, you know, was there something aside from how great that Lakers-Clippers game was in general? It stood out to you about the two games last night because I think for a lot of us, there were there were a lot of different things that we observed in those games last night. Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting look, an interesting feel, I think, just watching the entire how, how the league would officially look restarting. We, we watched a handful of the scrimmages, but um, it, it always looks different when it's the real thing. So I, I don't think there were – I think some takeaways from last night, like the games got both got off to rapid, rapid starts, um, really high first quarter totals, and we just watched this, this Nets Magic game go for like 70 points in the first quarter. And then teams kind of settled in a little bit, and uh, <clears throat> we saw we saw both unders actually hit after those really fast starts. So I think the pace and like the comfort level of the players is kind of more interesting to see. The, in terms of the actual gameplay, I, I guess LeBron looked a little rusty last night. He didn't have his best game from a from a scoring standpoint. But uh, these guys are going to get comfortable in the bubble. These eight seeding games, you know, we, we kind of know who's going to be in the playoffs and who's not. We have, we have, I guess, Portland and Memphis have a huge game to kind of help figure out who gets that eight seed in the West. But otherwise, these teams are just kind of tuning up for the playoffs. So unless you're really playing for a seed that you feel is important, especially with home court out the window the entire postseason on a neutral floor, it's, there's not that much to play for other than to tune up for these eight games. About that Lakers finish there at the end, being from Philadelphia area, of course, and remembering Kawhi Leonard's shot at the end, which I can totally still have nightmares about, it was weird to see Kawhi Leonard so uncomfortable late with LeBron James guarding him. Yeah, uh, Kawhi we saw a lot of times in the 2019 postseason on his way to that championship with Toronto dominate and, and not back down and uh, he was cle- he clearly did not get to his spot against LeBron on that session and uh, was in a really bad spot with whatever it was, like four seconds left and had to defer to Paul George there, which isn't the worst thing in the world. Paul George might have been the better offensive option last night but uh, just from the from the Kawhi perspective, yeah it looks like LeBron had it's one play, but LeBron made an impact on him on that play that nobody 
uh, in the last postseason could make. And conveniently enough, of course, LeBron James was not in the postseason last year for the for the first time since whatever it was, his second year or so with the Cavs. Julian, speaking of the game last night, I thought it was interesting also the fact that we saw how important it was for these teams when the supporting cast guys step up. You know, when Kuzma and the other guys stepped up. You know, Alex Caruso had some great plays. Dion Waiters had a couple plays where he was basically just came in, scored out of nowhere. It really seemed to be a huge part of the Lakers, whereas you could tell the Clippers were seriously missing Lou Williams and Montres Harrell. Yeah, and they only lost by two. So uh, kind of an impressive effort from the Clippers, in my opinion. Um, when they get those bench guys back, we, we weren't really sure what their rotation was doing. You know, top two or three candidates for uh, for the six man of the year award. So having those pieces for the Clippers is just as big a piece of their of their you know championship hopes as as their their starters are. Obviously, not the players that that Leonard and George are, but they need those pieces if they want to contend. So just the fact that they were able to hang with the Lakers last night, it was it was a terrible start, which has nothing to do with Lou Williams and Harrell coming off the bench. Um, but after that, they, they kind of found their found their groove and got up, uh, was it eight or maybe even double digits in the second half? Um, so it was a very back-and-forth game. I think, that's, I think we're going to see a lot of back-and-forth games in the early going because teams are going to just their stride for different five, six-minute windows and kind of go back and forth. But uh, in terms of the Clippers, I think last night was was a, a positive showing in my mind to be able to hang with the Lakers like that without two key pieces. Were you surprised that Zion played such limited minutes? No, I really wanted him to play more, but I can't act like I'm surprised. We remember his uh, his debut when he did exactly that until he went off in the fourth quarter and nailed those four threes, and, and we all remember how, how amazing he played. And then the Pelicans kind of didn't have a choice. They had to keep him out on the floor. I think they played him the first three minutes of each quarter and then the first six minutes of the fourth, and then there was finally a timeout. And that took the air out of the building. They could take Zion off the floor. Um, last night, that wasn't there. So he could really just play the first few minutes of each quarter. And um, it, it didn't last for long. The first time around, Zion was, was getting real minutes uh, pretty quickly. So hopefully within the Pelicans' next couple of games, we see Zion ramp it up. But the Pelicans are, are on the outside looking in. So they, they need to get some contributions from him. If, if Zion finishes that game, it sure looks like Pelicans win. So if, if they want to catch this eight seed, they need to get some contributions from him ASAP. How strange was it that Zion went out there, had zero rebounds, and he had 13 points, but he really didn't put a lot into the statue. If you're somebody, for example, who played the, you know, like a daily a daily lineup, he probably really soured it for you. Yeah, Zion was pretty expensive on drafting last night. I think he was 7,500. Don't quote me on that, but he was up there. And for a guy that winds up, you know, potentially with like a 12-minute restriction, um, you just you can't pay that type of money on, on DraftKings for a guy with just that type of downside to the minutes. So, yeah, Zion right now is just kind of like a, a wait-and-see um, on DraftKings because we need to see him get those minutes until he can pay, until he can pay for them. Unless, of course, the, the, other, the other, you know, side of that would be DraftKings adjusts his price and Zion comes back at, you know, 4500 or 5000 then we can start to talk about playing him at a cheaper price um, given his limited minutes. 
Speaking of limited minutes, Joel Embiid is going to be getting limited minutes probably throughout this eight-game stretch. We saw him throughout the three exhibition games only play about 12 to 13 minutes. So do you think it's concerning that with a new starting rotation, Joel Embiid is already being rested with this calf injury? To a degree. Um, Embiid's been a guy throughout his career that has been so limited and that Philly's been so cautious with it would be nice to see him come out with no restrictions. But at the same time, that urgency that the Sixers had coming out of the sixth seed to, you know, get home court in the first round is now kind of gone. I mean, I I guess you want to get out of the sixth seed because you don't want to play what's probably Boston, maybe Toronto, whoever winds up in that, in that three seed. Uh, You just get a better matchup if you, if you wind up in the, in the four or five. So there is a little bit of uh, motivation there, but the home court thing going out the window for Philly, especially with Philly being, you know, one of the best home teams and one of the best uh, worst road teams in the NBA, it kind of changes things in terms of what they're playing for. But uh, to to get back to your question, I mean, yeah, you, you hopefully these games, kind of like the Celtics are doing with Kemba Walker. Brad Stevens says his knee is as healthy as it's been since he arrived in Boston in September, but he's still going to play just 18 to 20 minutes in the first game and ramp his way up in the team games towards the postseason, hopefully Embiid's a similar situation where it's just kind of ramping him up and uh, getting the restrictions off uh, within either the last couple of, of seeding games or the postseason games. Julian Edler joining us here on the Boardwalk on a hotline on 97.3 ESPN. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Julian Edlow for all of your DFS, Sportsbook, DraftKings, NBA analysis. Julian, you mentioned about how you know it's not the same as Kemba Walker one of the things that stands out to me with Embiid and the Sixers, though, is the fact that the Sixers, they have a lot of different situations they could end up in, depending on how the seeding lays out. Is there a certain team that you look at in the Eastern Conference that the Sixers would either be, hey, that team would be a bad matchup for the Sixers, that team would be a very a good matchup for the Sixers? I mean, at this point, it's... It... Sabonis has a pretty serious injury for for, Phil, uh, for Indy, and is, is, he's gone from the bubble, and that's a team that I think that, uh, you know, people were high on if, if Oladipo was himself. Uh, he's, he's necessarily there yet. So Indy's now lacking size, and Philly's strength is obviously size. Even though they're switching to the new lineup with, with Horford on the bench and Shake Milton starting, they still throw a lot of size at you. And that's one of the things that, that kind of hurt in matchups with Boston, too. So I don't think Boston's the worst matchup. There's just which team has more talent, Boston or Indy. Um, so I think that kind of just answers the question for you, and, and you want to try and find a way to match up with the Pacers in uh, in the first round. The, the one thing that changes, though, like I said before, is ideally Philly would want to climb to a four seed and beat out Indy and have Indy playing in the five seed and getting those games in Philly now. If Embiid needs to rest a game when that matchup is locked in and Philly just plays that at the five seed, who cares with the neutral court games? How much of a difference do you anticipate Ben Simmons being at the four is for this team? So I caught some of the scrimmages. I I honestly need to watch more. I want to see the Sixers play a real game. And uh, it's just like, I want to see, is he really playing power forward or is he positionally now can call the power forward because Shake Milton's the point guard. Like, is Simmons going to still bring the ball up the court all the time? 
if Ben Simmons gets a rebound, you're telling me he's going to defer to shake Milton at point guard and, and not just to bring the ball down on his own. I, I just can't see it going that way. So I, and Shake Milton's a great shooter. So I see this more as not a small ball lineup, but just not being as big as, as Philly was before, just because no other teams have that kind of size on the floor at the same time. So now you have the ball in Simmons' hands with, with Milton and Richardson kind of on the perimeter, um, ready to shoot, and, and you surround him with shooters, uh, just like teams love to do with, with LeBron. So I want to see how this lineup looks in a real game for Philly, but I have a hard time believing that Ben Simmons is now going to just become your, your classic power forward. I don't think he's going to be a Carl Malone in these, in these uh, upcoming playoffs. So I'm, I'm curious to see how it looks, but I think the idea is just to get another shooter around Simmons um, and kind of match up better size-wise with other teams. Let's go big picture on the Eastern Conference. A couple more before we let you go. Julian Edler joining us here on the Boardwalk kind of hotline on 97.3 ESPN. Julian, who is the biggest threat to the Bucks in the Eastern Conference? Uh, so, we've, I mean, we've been talking all year, which team is it? Boston, Toronto, Philly, that, that poses the biggest threat to the Bucks. Um for the time being, from a talent perspective, I'm going to say it's the Celtics. They they are healthy, uh, assuming that Kemba gets off that minutes restriction for the postseason. Um, they've played the Bucks very well uh, this season. They went down huge, like 15 points or so in the first quarter both times they met, but wound up beating them by 11 in Boston. Lost a close five-point game in Milwaukee. Um, just like we're about to see the Sixers and uh, Pacers square off tomorrow in their first game, we're going to see the Bucks and the Celtics square off tonight in their first game. So we'll get some, some quick answers in terms of how those teams match up with each other. Um, but I, I can't say that it's, it's a, a strong take that Boston is the team. I, I, think, that, uh, I think that Toronto is, is, is very good, and I think Philly is, is right there with Toronto just in terms of, of talent and, and really just not having to go on the road, I think, also – is, is going to help uh, the 76ers a lot in this environment. In your eyes, who is the league's MVP this season? The MVP is still Giannis. Um, I know LeBron's the only other guy that people can really uh, bring up. Um, but I know he was hurt. But LeBron and the Lakers still missed the playoffs last year. What's what's the major difference there? Getting Anthony Davis is, is what made a huge impact from getting this team from a non-playoff team, yes, without without LeBron there for the whole season, um, into the what's going to be the number one seed in the West. So, really, Giannis putting up kind of historic win total numbers in Milwaukee. Potentially, we'll never know how this season would have wound up. Uh, and the awards are being based on on those games. Seeding games don't count towards the awards. So it's already determined. Uh, Giannis is the guy for me. I don't, I don't think it's all that close. I disagree. I I think it's LeBron. Really? Yeah, I think it's LeBron because of the fact that you go through the numbers. When LeBron's not on the court, that offense is an abomination. And when Giannis isn't on the court, the Bucks still have a good offense. And I think if we value that V and MVP, to me at least, I say if you take LeBron off the Lakers, they're not going to the playoffs. Take Giannis off the Bucks, they're probably still a six or a seven seed. I mean, arguably in the East, yeah, but there's a reason that we have nine Eastern Conference teams in the bubble and, and 13 Western Conference teams. The West is much, much stronger. Um, so I, I don't disagree with you. I think Milwaukee would be a, uh, you know, a six, seven, eight seed in the East without Giannis. 
Um, and the Lakers without LeBron would probably be, be battling for, for a similar seed in, in the West. So I, I don't disagree with your logic. I just think that the, I, I think that Anthony Davis's impact, maybe, maybe LeBron would be having an MVP type season, um, in terms of the numbers or if AD wasn't there, but I think just eyeballing it, the Anthony Davis impact is, is, is too much to say that LeBron is the, the singular most valuable player to me. We'll have to agree to disagree then. But I, I appreciate the debate because this is a conversation we asked everybody <laughs> this week. Literally everyone who's come on this week, Julian, we've asked them, who's your MVP? And we've we've gotten a plethora of different answers between LeBron and Giannis. So we appreciate you. I mean, and I'll, I'll say this. I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big LeBron guy too. Um, and especially coming out of Boston, people don't really like LeBron here. I like LeBron and I appreciate what he does. Um, and has, if you ask me who do I want on my team for a, for a playoff run, I, I'm taking LeBron. Um, but just in terms of using the games that we have in front of us, uh, the award in my mind goes to Giannis. But it's it's I'm certainly not trying to bash LeBron here in any way. No, I don't think you're bashing him at all, but I, I appreciate the debate. Julian Edlow joining us here on the Boardwalk on the Hotline. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Julian Edlow. DraftKings, NBA analyst. Check out all of his coverage of the sportsbook and DFS options you have all NBA season long. And as all guests, he appeared today on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Appreciate the time, my friend. Thanks. Anytime, Josh. Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN. Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill. We've got a different answer this week, Broads. Everyone seems to have a little bit different of an answer to that MVP question. Yeah, he was pretty heavy on Giannis. He's not even close. He doesn't even think it's close. I think it's interesting that the people who have picked LeBron, you know, they're, they admit Giannis is in the conversation, but they're very strong on LeBron. But the same thing with the Giannis. The people are very, they say LeBron's in the conversation, but we're very strong. There's no real, like, you know, there's no waffling. Or if I, there's no ambiguity Ooh. in the argument. I like how you tied that together. We got headlines coming up next here on 97.3 ESPN Plus. Football at 4, powered by Inside the Birds podcast. Andrew the Checo joins the show coming up at 4 o'clock. And keep your questions coming. Ask Bros and Josh at 430-609-403-0973 at Bros81 at Josh Hennig on Twitter. You're listening to 97.3 ESPN-FM. Welcome back into Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN. Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill on a TGIF Friday. I want to remind you, Sports Bash being brought to you by the New Jersey Department of Agriculture. Jersey Fresh Tomatoes are ripe and ready for your sandwiches, burgers, salads, and sauces. Be sure to pick up some at your local favorite market today. Jersey Fresh Tomatoes are essential Jersey. Bro, did you put a tomato on your burger? Of course. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I'm more of a tomato and lettuce guy on my my steak sandwiches than the burger. I'll do anything. I'll put any sort of food on my food and it's good. Anything makes anything better. You know what I mean? I'll put any food on my food. Yep, I'll put any sort of food on my food, and it makes the food better. All right, we'll do this, though. We'll start here. We'll start with college football, because this came across my Twitter feed about a half an hour ago. Sources are saying the Pac-12 is planning on a 10-game schedule that starts on September 26th. Does that surprise you? 
surprise me? No. Does the date surprise me, though? Yes. And here's why. In order for you to pull off a 10-game schedule and start September 26th, you're pushing back the Pac-12 championship game to, like, what would that be, the second week of December? So, like, your whole schedule is being pushed down the road, and I'm surprised that they were willing to do that because, number one, don't forget that a lot of these conferences, they went to these some of these schedules so they could still accommodate the television networks when it comes to that championship game. Is the Pac-12 doing this without or with the consent of Fox, who is usually the entity that carries the Pac-12 championship game? It's a great question. You would think that they would have this sort of conversation before coming out with the schedule, wouldn't you think? Or did Fox say, whatever you guys are going to do, we'll work around it. Right, right. Well, you would think the communication between both parties were involved. I'm just curious what the communication is, because I think that it's one thing if Fox told them, this is what we'll agree to, or if Fox told them, we'll do whatever you want. And and the thing with the Pac-12 is, because they have their own network, like the Big Ten, some of the games that don't make it onto the major channels go on their own networks. They don't have to worry about other certain con, uh, con, uh, restrictions. What the heck am I saying? Restrictions that maybe some other football conferences do. Because one of the problems with the smaller conferences is that they had to make these cancellations because they realized logistically between getting people on campus and the networks and the broadcast and everything, it just wasn't worth it in the long run. Whereas some of these other people... They have the benefit of these television networks feeding them money that makes it more worth it for them. Well, how about Notre Dame joining a conference? For this year. Yes, for this season. Correct. That is a big part of it. How do you feel about that? I'm indifferent because I feel like this is going to happen anyway at some point. To me, one You of mean the... long-term, like actually for the yes. future? Okay. Yeah. At some point, Notre Dame's going to have to join an actual conference. Now, why do you say they have to? Number one... Notre Dame's marquee is starting to fade, all right? And I know there's a bunch of Notre Dame diehards out there that are pounding their car dashboard right now or they're at work pounding the desk saying, you don't understand the history of Notre Dame football. I do understand the history of Notre Dame football. Part of the history of Notre Dame football is they haven't won squattily poop in about 30-plus years, all right? They haven't even had a Heisman Trophy winner in over 30 years. Notre Dame football is not what it used to be. And a lot of the people who hold Notre Dame in this high regard as they do, those people are eventually going to no longer have an influence over the financial impact in terms of dollars and cents for the advertisers who pay NBC all the money they do to carry Notre Dame, which allows NBC to pay for the exclusive rights from Notre Dame to broadcast those games. Eventually, the money is not going to be there, and Notre Dame is going to have to join a conference, number one. Number two, don't forget, Notre Dame is struggling right now to get these games scheduled. And what's the reason why they joined the ACC this year? Because there are no non-conference games. They're out the window, and Notre Dame functions off of a non-conference schedule. Well, that would make sense for this year, but I, you know that point makes sense for this season. But and eventually, you- that's gonna we're, we are going to see changes in the football schedule, not just this year, but several years because of this, because I think people are going to like some of the new things that come with this conference-only schedule. 
So do you think that they're going to be shortened college football seasons with no non-conference games and all conference games? No, I think that when we go back to regular college football, you might see less non-conference games in general. And more conference games? Yes. Okay, so you just So take like it'll away. be the normal schedule, but instead of there being three or four non-conference games, you might only have one, and that would limit Notre Dame's potential schedule. But don't you think that these teams out there would want Notre Dame on their schedule? I feel like there's enough teams out there that wouldn't care, and even though that they only have that one non-conference game, they would be fighting for Notre Dame for that one conference non-conference the game. The problem is there's a lot of ego in college football, and there are certain schools that look at Notre Dame and say, we're better than you, you need us, bug off. And other schools, they value their rivalries with Notre Dame, like you know the Michigans and the USC's. What's well, to be fair? How many squads are going? We don't. We think we're better, bigger than Notre Dame. Oklahoma, Texas, just I, to name two off the top of my head. I Alabama, just, three, just as big, sure, but bigger. I don't know if I can make that argument. I, I think there's a lot of ego in college football, and that influences a lot of this stuff. That, that's just my opinion. I'm sure that there is a lot of ego, and I'm sure that they do believe internally that we're better than them, we're bigger than them. But at the end of the day, Notre Dame is just as big as any college football program as there is. Nah, they used to be. It, they still are. I mean, the name speaks for itself. The name. Sure. It's a name yeah, I'm not brand. talking about product on the field. I'm it's talking like, about Notre yeah, Dame It's like in when you go to the store and the name brand costs you $10 more than the generic brand. But the Notre Dame. The name Notre Dame. I'm not talking about who's on the team, how good the team is. Notre Dame is just as big as any college football program there is. In name recognition, yes. Yes, yes that's what In I'm talking about. In terms of on-field quality well, of the sure. product, yeah, no. Right, absolutely. That's fine. That's not what I'm getting at, though. I just think that when teams are argue that you know my brand is bigger than their brand, Notre Dame's arguably the, the biggest college football brand there Watch is. Watch what happens if we get college football. There are going to be some of these conferences that realize the quality of play in the conference is going to help some of these teams in their bowl arguments versus not help them. Well, I'm okay with that. I want it to be that way. I, I hate, I can't stand when you turn on a football game on Saturday and Alabama's playing South Alabama. Right. That is just not even worth it. That is a joke. It should never, ever, ever be played that way but we all know that the money part of things when it comes to these smaller schools that play some of these bigger schools that plays a role into why this happens but it shouldn't happen it, it is a disgrace at times i think there might be a possibility that this schedule could eliminate a lot of those games i would be okay with it let's stay with some football though antonio brown <laughs> eight game suspension and it starts once he signs if he signs with the team so I love this story <laughs> selfishly because I'm so over I'm so over Antonio Brown. The guy just needs to go away. I mean, and I'm glad the NFL is punishing him like a legitimate punishment, not some like, you know, you know, slap on the back of the hand being like, you know, bad. No, no, they're legitimately punishing him. And I, I love it because the guy literally is a disaster zone. The guy, the guy's a walking mess. He doesn't even know what he wants from one day to the next. Remember, he, he retired for two days. Then he announced, "I need the NFL to make a decision so I get back to football." Well, which is it? Oh, he's a nut job. He's a psycho. Do you think he gets signed by anyone? 
I feel I like know. at this point, there's a legit chance there's that... There's a chance. No, I'm, yeah. no, I feel like at this point, there's a legit chance that he doesn't. Most people, oh, really? if they're skilled, it doesn't matter what you did, right? If you're a talented player, teams pick up guys in the NFL all the time. It doesn't matter what you did. But I feel so many people are seeing the path that this guy is on is just not adding up to the point where it might actually scare teams into trying it. If Bill Belichick attempted it and it didn't work, that might be enough for other teams to take a step back as well. It's interesting. Um, I've always felt like guys get way too many chances in sports at times who don't deserve it, people like him. I hope you're right. I hope that teams are just fed up now. I really do. Well, it's, it's hard not to think that's the case. Because don't you think even to this point, he would have been signed even though people knew that there would be some sort of suspension. If some team was really excited about his talent level and they would take the they would take a chance on this player, wouldn't it have happened already? And they just would have waited for the league to step in and give them the eight game suspension? I think a lot of teams were waiting to hear from the league first before they made that decision. That was just my personal perspective. I felt like there were teams that might have been interested, but they were waiting to hear more. Well, here's another question for you. Is eight games enough? I'm fine with it because I feel like it's basically telling him you're not going to play half the season. I think a half the season suspension for his ridiculous and inappropriate and bizarro behavior and basically in the embarrassment that he is off the field is definitely appropriate. I think there's probably more to come. As if he, if he signs with somebody and does something once again, he's going to get suspended again. And my point is, I think that if he does go to a team, he will do something stupid again to get himself suspended once more. Well, Adam Schefter is reporting the NFL has warned Antonio Brown that any further violation of the personal conduct policy will result in a more significant discipline. So I'm assuming that might mean like a year suspension. That's what you would think the next thing would be, if not even longer. Who knows? Now, maybe you did say it starts once he signs with the team. Correct. That is big. Right. I like that, too. It's not like baseball where they're like, well, Alex Cora is not managing this year, and he's suspended for a year. No, what they're saying is your suspension doesn't start just because you're not playing. Your suspension starts the moment you sign. I like that caveat. Well, that means if a team is interested, they're going to have to do it sooner rather than later because you can't wait. Because if true. you wait weeks into the season, well, it would be ridiculous to sign him then because then you're hurting the, the clock of the suspension to start. Excellent point. So you would think a team would jump on this quicker. You would think. Right. Now, we're ending the headlines with this here. Monday Night Football, new crew. We're out with the bad crew. Bad crew? Too many years of that bad crew. New crew. How do you feel about it? Steve Levy? Lewis Riddick and Brian Greasy? I like Steve Levy a lot. I think he did an excellent job with the XFL games. He's very underrated in his ability to call a, a football game, whether it's college football or NFL or any football in general. I'm a little conflicted on the other two because Brian Greasy is usually his partner when he ever does football in general. And I understand that Lewis Riddick is a huge marquee name in terms of ESPN football, you know, personalities in terms of analysts, but I don't know, I don't know about him as a, as a as a guy on a game though. Like if he's like the pregame, the halftime, and the postgame, or he's on sports that are after you, that's one thing. Now you're asking him to change part of who he is and what he does. Is, I'm not sure. I think we'll be pleasantly surprised. Here's the thing: he's so smart. 
when it comes to the game of football. He's very intelligent, right? So don't you think that we might get so attracted into what he's saying and so focused on how he's breaking down the game and talking about the sport that it's a good mix with someone like Steve Levy? Not that Steve Levy doesn't know the game. Of course he does. But when you have someone like Lewis Riddick who can really take that next step and you put that in with someone like Steve Levy, maybe that's a good combination. It might be. You know, I, I'm, I think there's a better chance of this working than the Tessitore, Witten, McFarland fiasco. Well, that's, that's a sure. good point because that was so awful that it would be hard to be on that level. Yeah, I think this will be successful. What level of success? I'm... I'm open to find out. I'm not going to make an assumption either way. It's like, remember I told you when I go to movies? I keep an open mind. I don't get too high. I don't get too low. I just walk in and I say, let's see what's going to happen here. And that's what I'm going to do with this Monday football team. I think if you compare it to what we just saw, it's going to be successful. It just depends on how you view the word successful all around. But it's got to be successful compared to what we just witnessed. It has to be. If it's not, then we're in some real trouble.